All right, here we go. Welcome, welcome to the Maleco and Flash podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 6th, and we've got some musical guests today. It's another twofer for you. Makana is going to be joining us later in the show, but right now, live and in action, getting ready to potty this weekend. It's your boy, Welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Not too bad I'm driving. Aren't we supposed to take a shot every time someone says the word party? I don't know. Uh, yo! <laughs> wow! Kalani getting right into it. I love it. Wow, Kalani love it. skipped like five segments and went right to the word of the day. Uh, yeah, you didn't, you didn't write party on the weekend for nothing, that's for sure. All right, uh, Maleko, what do you got? No, not right, at all. So I've got... I'm drinking truly today. Oh God, God, you're such a girl. <laughs> this is I have like if this is a typical quarantine cocktail. I've, I I've think got this some... can was open though. It's weird. Oh it's boy, coming... yeah, Lauren's drinking it. I've got some uh, Dolce Vita tequila from Young's Market. It's a uh, it's a handcrafted barrel autographed batch on the side, but. <laughs> I've got nice. I've got nothing to mix it with, so I'm drinking this very delicious, expensive tequila with the only mixer that I could find in the office. Oh, no! there you go. No, that's not this bad. Is... Oh god, that's this not is, bad at all. That's like the a epitome of a... basically is what yeah, you're drinking. It, it's the epitome <laughs> of a quarantine cocktail. You just got to make do with what you got. Yeah, well, my anyway. lovely assistant over here, uh, like to introduce Hi. you guys to yeah, this is Megan. Um, she, we, she, we still have, um, the rest of our bottle. I'm not drinking cause we're driving. We're trying to be safe, but this is Coralejo, 100% Ooh. full agave. Tequila. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're definitely not drinking and driving, but, uh, but I you do have an off. open container in the car. <laughs> no, it's closed. <laughs> it's closed. It's a closed, it's partially right. closed. Well, there you go. The, the, the word of the day is party. So cheers. Oh. All right. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, that tastes horrible. Oh, God. <laughs> Flash over yeah. there is just straight up ghetto purple drink. I love yeah. it. <laughs> oh, God. Four loco. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so Kalani, let's. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Malika. No, go. You, you go right. I forgot whose name was first in the podcast. You go ahead. You didn't even introduce me on the show, by the way. Hey, I, you notice that, Kaylani? Before we get, I did notice that, but before we get started, um, I didn't get a chance to tell Maleko this because we're kind of pressed for time. But I'm so happy that you guys are doing this. And before we get started, I just want to say shout out to you guys. It's a little bit different and challenging to be doing this podcast on uh, something like Zoom, but you guys are facing the challenges, and I just, I just think it's awesome. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. <laughs> right on. Thank you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> yeah, we we handle compliments well. They go straight yeah, to our heads. That's good. Yeah. yeah no, I was, I'm I'm sorry. I forgot who I was talking to for a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like I said, we, we don't have a lot of time with you. I, we're, you're you're on your way to a studio session now. Uh, do some uh, lay down some tracks. But we do want to yeah. just talk a little bit about what you've been up to. Earlier, uh, we were talking, and you had said that you had, you were on tour when the COVID nineteen crisis happened. Uh, yeah. Where were you? What was your first show that got canceled? Um, the first show that was got canceled, 
gosh, I think I'm pretty sure it was Hermosa Beach. Um, this place called St. Rock in Hermosa. Um, that got canceled. And then um, the Glass House in Pomona got canceled. When, what, were the, what were the dates when all this was hap going down? Um, gosh, it was late. It was like in like March already. Like the beginning of March, I believe. And I, I know you told me this uh, the other day, but who were you on tour with? I was on tour with uh, Rebel Soldiers. Got it. Yeah, and you know what? The unfortunate thing is, man, yo, there was these shows were packed. I mean, that's my first time being on a being on on the road with those guys, and they were doing a, they were they were killing it. Um, Seattle, Bellingham, Washington, Portland, Oregon. I mean, and I had I didn't know this, but they had never been farther than Colorado. They've never been to Colorado before, and that was on the that was on the um, on the tour list as well. But yeah, those those shows were banging and like, you know, it was a shame. But I mean, you know, for the safety of the people, and then like, you know, you start hearing things that people are actually passing away from this disease, and we're just like, yo, I mean, it's serious. So, so did you guys like immediately all just pack up and fly home, or did you just kind of hang out where you were at for a few days, playing wait and see? Yeah, well, we did. We, when they canceled um, Pomona and San Diego. We went straight to, we decided to go straight from LA to Vegas and we had three days off and Vegas was, you know, jumping. So we're like three days off boys, you know? So we went out there and we did our thing and um, the show at Brooklyn Bowl was already sold out um, for that Sunday. Um, so, you know, everybody was telling us, no way they're going to cancel. It's probably going to be their last big event. Then they'll shut down. Um, but that morning, Sunday morning, they told us, so we did wait for a few days and uh, they told us that they, they had to cancel the show. So, you know, um, uh, the good news is, is that all those shows we missed, they pushed it back to for projected later dates. So we're going to be back on, on the road soon. Excellent. So, I, I just saw, um, Kaylandi, I don't know if you saw this article yesterday. They're doing the first concert. I think it's like, of course, in like Arkansas or somewhere, you know, one of those, um, one of those red states in the middle. Um, there's yeah. an artist, uh, some, some country artist, he's a big name whose, whose name eludes me right now. He's performing at a venue that holds about a thousand people, basically a Republic sized venue, but they're capping right. the ticket sales at 229 people. And they're right. only selling tickets that are called pods, which is basically anybody in the same house is a pod. Um, but how right. they are enforcing that or how you're proving that as a ticket buyer, I don't know, but each pod gets a, an area and then there's no other pods within six feet of that. I was just curious as to what right. you think. Um, does that make sense to you? Are you into that? Would you rather wait or just what are your thoughts on that in general? Bro, part of, part of me thinks that's a cool idea because I mean, people are getting restless and I'm sure that they'll take whatever, some people will take whatever they can get, you know? Um, so if it's got to be in a pod where it's like everybody just in your household and you guys go check out a show and you're in an area that's six feet, I mean, it's unfortunate. But the thing, you know, what scares me is I don't want people to get used to that. I don't want to, I don't want that to be the norm, you know? So a bigger part of me, I should say, which should be like, uh, just wait it out. It'll be that much more sweeter when we do get back to full swing. Listen, I never want to be closer to six feet from Maleko anyway, so I'm good with where we're at. <laughs> yeah, you can get your own pod, damn it. Nobody wants to be in a pod with you. Yeah. Now, um, Kaylandi, when you say restless, are you talking about music fans? Or are you talking about musicians or both? 
all the way around, man. I mean, the the musicians, we're getting, man, like, there's only so so much live shows you can go live before, you know, the audience starts to be like, okay, well, we've seen this before, you know, we're starting to see the trend kind of go down. Um, And how excited people are that so-and-so or such-and-such is going live. Um, And, uh, you know, it's, Man, and, and the people for sure are getting restless, not just the musicians, but, you know, I can't wait to, if someone called me today and said, hey, you know what, after June, we want to book you for an acoustic gig, you know, I'll normally, I try and stay away from playing like three or four hour gigs, but give it to me, I'll take it, not because, it's just because I want to play, I want to sing, but I think maybe we needed this, maybe we, maybe this is good for everybody, hit the reset button, spend some time at home, miss being out with people. Uh, you know, means to spend some time with family and your other halves, better halves or work halves. I've heard stories already, but you know, maybe that's what we needed. Um, now, Kaylandi, you are performing on Living Room Live, hashtag Aloha Together this Saturday, yeah. uh, 4 p.m. KITV rebroadcast on Island 98.5 and KSSK. Um, and you did perform acoustically, just you and a guitar player for it. Yeah. Um, how often have you been getting hit up for those types of gigs? I noticed Maleko and I have talked about it when we first started the show, we were the only ones doing it. And now we see more and more people doing it. And like you said, I mean, how many times can you perform, you know, on your couch? Yeah. I mean, you know, what helps is one of the reasons why I really wanted to go um, and do it at the music hall is because, um, you know, I've done so much, kind of just going live from my room or my couch already but I think just a nice little change of venue and like you know it's just usually me and my guitar but having a guitar player like Russ uh do something or even if you have a couple members of your band it kind of gives it some type of sense of normalcy you know which is kind of cool um but I've been hit up a few times um and I mean anytime you guys call or text man I'm with it whatever it is you guys need one I'm with you so I try to tell that to everyone else too um, you know, whatever it is you need from Kalandi, man, I'll be more than happy to share. And just kind of like I'm in the giving spirit, you know. Do you, do you feel like that's important from um, a marketing sense for to to keep you know you as a musician top of mind for people? Is is this to keep doing that type of thing? Or are you just doing it because you're bored? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I do it honestly. I do it because I like you guys. I do it because I like the people that call oh. me up. Like you know, like I would hang out with. I would hang out with everyone. I would hang out with you guys and like, you know what I mean? We'd chill and I really enjoy it. So that's kind of first and foremost. Party! Party! <laughs> so that's the word. Um, Your passenger this, uh, better be drinking. <laughs> and, uh, speaking of passengers, we picked up another one. So this is Megan and then this is Brother Poof to the City Boys. Oh! oh, oh, oh boys. <laughs> Yo, hey, Kaylani, yeah. uh, get yeah. with me after. I want to get the City Boys on the show. Okay, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just I just never you. didn't have a contact for them. Yeah, no, um, I got you, man. For sure. So you and oh, yeah, uh speak- sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, speaking of, of music pods, um you uh party on the weekend, the music video has over a hundred and seven thousand views and counting. And uh, it's yeah. definitely one of, if not the biggest song of two thousand nineteen. I know Spoiler alert, it is going to get nominated for some um, Island 98.5 Music Awards this year. Um, 
But J Josh Totofi directed that video. Josh Totofi was in the very first episode of Living Room Live. I know you guys yeah. have a really, really long history. It goes back much further than that video. Uh, why don't yeah. you tell us about, about how, uh, how you guys uh, became friends? Man, the honest to God truth, um, they wouldn't let, he, he had just moved back to Oahu from Maui. And uh, there was a big concert at uh, Republic, and they wouldn't let him in. That back then, this is before they knew Josh Tatofi was Josh Tatofi, but you know the security wouldn't let him in. I used to have that same problem all the time over there. Those freaking guys! <laughs> Tell you what, dude, Don at the door. Don does not give a shit who you no, are, dude. Where yeah, is he's your the gatekeeper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they wouldn't let Tofi in because uh, he was wearing slippers. And I felt bad, and like, <laughs> I felt bad, because I mean, you guys ever see Topi say, like, when Topi's kind of like, when he gets bad news or something, he really kind of has this face, it's like, man, I feel bad for the guy, you know? <clears throat> so he's just sitting there with his hands in his pockets, and he's like posted up against the wall, and I knew who he was um, a little bit, but he was friends with some other friends, and I was so, like, hey, bro, I'm gonna hang out, I'll hang out with what, you, you know what I mean? When you say, with, with like, had he recorded music yet? Did anybody, I mean, was he a known musician yet or no? I think his song Taken was just kind of taking off. He had a, he had a, he had an island reggae single, but as far as like the crooner, Josh Tatofi, that was, that was, uh, I think that was a little bit before that. So he's standing outside the Republic. He's got his hands in his pocket. He's bumming and you walk up and you decide instead of going in to see whatever concert was playing, you're going to kick it with Tatofi. Yeah, man. I was like, hey, because I, I, we, with the back then the crown room, crown room was open, the old Hard Rock, and I'd seen him a few times over there, and we had a couple of drinks. And he was always a cool guy, um, but I was just like, yo, it's, I don't want this guy to kind of just be out here by himself. So I was like, yo, I'll kick it with you, bro. And then we exchanged numbers. I think uh, uh, he started picking up acoustic gigs here and there, some of the spots I was playing too, and. Uh, we would always barbecue at our house and he just became one of the regular homies that came through. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and he'd always, he, he, he always have a guitar, always trying to write music. And I remember early on when he was talking about how nervous he was because he really felt like he wanted to start getting into Hawaiian music, but he was afraid to kind of jump, jump into that, you know? Um, but I mean, is, I guess, he, he seems pretty shy in general. Like he's a fairly quiet guy. Is that, do you think that's why he's always got the sunglasses on when he's performing and? <laughs> well, you know what? There's one thing that that brother knows how to do is market himself. You know, there's one thing that guy knows how to do is market himself. So, I mean, just imagine if you see a tall guy, a big dude with a beard, glasses like that, a fedora and a big old gold chain, chances are, that's just, you know, I mean, they kind of can spot him a mile away. I mean, try. Or, I mean, or it's one of his other two band members, because all three of those guys <laughs> are, they're exactly. like the starting line for UH. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, every now and every now and then they use tunes from, uh, from Rebel Soldiers. Um, you know, if one of the guys can't make it, they'll bring tunes in. And he's another poly, big poly guy with a big old beard, too. So those guys... I mean, they straight up look like they could have played, you know, offensive line for McKinley Tigers over here. One time, how much more? You know, but uh, yeah, those guys. I mean, definitely. That's uh, that's kind of like his the, the signature look. Everyone's kind of got that, but 
you know, he spends a good amount of time researching and, and he's considerably, he's a few years younger than me. I said considerably younger, but, you know, uh, in the music game and how his whole thing kind of mind wraps, you know, growing up in the music industry with his dad guys, you know, he's years, leaps and bounds ahead of me. And I think that's what kind of brings us all together with that passion for the music, where it's going, how to approach it, how to stay relevant, especially during this time, you know, going back to the marketing stuff that you said. So, you know, because um, our gigs aren't there, so we got to do whatever we can. But yeah. That's so, right. that guy, honestly, that guy's probably one of my best friends. Him and that whole dream team. Him, La Pepa, Travis. So, shout out to those guys. Oh, and, yeah. and, and their management, too. Sometimes that guy doesn't get enough credit. So, speaking of gigs, how many gigs do you think you've lost in an average month? Oh, I don't want to put I don't want to put a number out there, but, you know, coming off of the whole party on the weekend and Stranger, I was telling Maleko earlier that um, this season, this graduation season was supposed to be big, you know, um, and then I, so as soon as we came back, March was already kind of full, um, and, you know, I had, I've been working with um, some finance, I mean, some people to kind of help manage my book, so we're, they, they helped me with some projections, some projections that we were looking at. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I kind of work with a booking agent and we were looking at, we, I mean, we're, we're losing, we're losing thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, but, uh, we, I mean, gosh, I can't even put my finger on how many gigs, you know, like we've lost all my weekly gigs are gone. Um, some of the, uh, Lamon, have you ever been to Lamon in Kapolei? It's over there next to CPK by the theater. We're that townies, dude. We oh, are townies. Yeah. Well, have you seen us? Yeah, couple A. <laughs> where is that? Is that near Iea? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, Iea. Iea is way too far. Get out of here. <laughs> but uh, hey, if you do, if you do get out to Iea, Hughley's is a really good restaurant to try out over there. But um, yo, so so a couple of the restaurants are closing for good. Like they're not even going to reopen after this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of musicians out there kind of trying to scramble around, um, you know, but uh, we're trying to learn different skills, you know, we're trying to work on new music and stay positive. And I got a really, I'm really excited about this next song that's getting mastered right now. Uh, oh, there's Makana. Makana <laughs> popping into the chat. Right on, Makana. We're going to, we're going to wrap up here with Kalandi in just a second. We'll, uh, we'll continue with you, but feel free to join in on the combo. Uh, you know, Kalani, question for you, but, you know, as an artist, you, you write from experience, you know, musicians uh, do a really good job of capturing emotions, uh, capturing vibes, capturing the moment. Um, yeah. Obviously, Ta-da. what's happening right now in the world is a massive, uh, is a massive moment for everybody. Uh, have you, has right. that affected your music writing at all? Have you, have you started to You'll capture hear- that? Have you been able to put that on paper? Um, yeah, this, uh, this next one, this next song that I'm going to be releasing, I'm really, really excited about it. Um, and I think it's really fitting for what's happening right now. Um, and I do, I do really write from experience. It's hard for me to write. I can't write about being a millionaire and having money in the bank and all my bling because that's not me, you know. But, uh, but not, I, yet. I, I, not yet. Not hey, yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the next song that I got coming out is called uh, No Stopping Us. And I think it's a really positive song. I mean, 
uh, after party on the weekend, I kind of really found my groove in making really good feel good music, uh, stuff that people would want to, I guess, party and move to, you know, so I'm party. Kind of <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> <Drink it up. laughs> the word of the day is party, Makana. I saw you drinking. So every time uh, you hear the word uh, party, Makana, you got to have a cocktail. Oh, I'm going to set myself up then. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Don't you gotta got to tell Makana twice. Damn. He's like, all right. He's like, okay. <laughs> I guess I'll just pick up this hydro flask. Yeah. <laughs> now, Kaylani, speaking. There we oh. go. Oh. Somebody speak on them. Hey, Makana, what's your address? I'm coming over. We know my gardens. Serious. Um, right. Now, Kaylani, um, speaking of finding, oh, what? speaking of uh, finding your groove after party in the weekend, you have a style that's that's not so um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, aggressively Hawaiian. You you do um, I know you you uh, you know you like your um, your alternative music and and you have a, a little bit more broader influence than some of, some of these other guys. And I actually think that that helps you stand out. Um, one of the things I really like about you is you look a certain way, but then your performance and your style of music um, is a, a little bit more palatable to someone that looks like me. Is that, is, that, is, that, is that calculated? Is that part of your quote unquote marketing and branding? Or is that just, you know, you like what you like? That was such a my PC mom. way to say it, Flash, by the way. <laughs> well, my mom, my mom. That was very I, I'm, I'm, I learn after you. Yes. Um, places I've grown up in, 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 the, in the States, in the mainland, um, really kind of influenced my choice of music and stuff coming up. Um, so, it's, again, it's one of those things I kind of just going with what I think is good and what I, what I know and what influenced me. So I think it, the gist of what you're saying is, I mean, I think a lot of people with island music particularly kind of all came from the same influence. Uh oh. We lost him. We lost him. Look at how look at how deep in thought he is right there. Oh man, I wanted him to finish that thought too. Well he, he did. He just he just he just doesn't know that he's frozen. He's he's talking a mile a minute right now somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Well hopefully he comes back if if not we'll reconnect with him. There he is. Nope. We lost you for about fifteen seconds there, bro. Was that me? Yeah. Yeah. We lost you. Oh, okay. Oh, I was just going to say, well, I mean, I grew up with a lot of different influences of music, and I think that's kind of where it is. I wish it was calculated, but you know what? If that's what works, man, we're going with it, man. You know, if the people like it, you know, and I love meeting so many people that haven't heard or have only heard Party on the Weekend, and when they tell me, oh, we heard this song, we heard your other music that you dropped, it's really cool. It's really flattering, man, and I couldn't feel more blessed. You know, one thing that's funny about that song in particular is when uh, I'm with people that hear the song that have never seen you, uh, and then they, they either watch the video or they see you in real life. It's, it's, they definitely, there's a disconnect there, right? And yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a good, it's a good disconnect because, it, it, you know, people have these, uh, these expectations when they hear a sound or they hear, you know, a particular song, they think they know uh -huh. what that artist is going to look like. And, and it always, yeah. I always get a kick out of it when, when people see, <laughs> see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it totally. I mean, 
Um, I get that too. You should see, if you have a chance, read the comments on, on YouTube. There was on, on the YouTube video, someone's like, oh, I was expecting a white boy, but, it's, but he looks poly. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, cool. That's, that's, cool. that's yeah, man. pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, one of one of the things one of the things that I really really dig though with my music and one of, one of the statements that I'm trying to make is, you know, at the IMAs last year when I performed, I try to make things multicultural. We obviously had like, um, I guess different orientations represented on there, different different um, ethnic backgrounds represented on there no body shaming i mean it's like party on the weekends for everybody love is love and that's what we're trying to go with you know what i mean i body shame maleko all the time he does he's a <laughs> terrible old man losing his hair it's awful it's awful that's awful thank you so much kalandi it's been great talking with you today uh we're hey, gonna let thank you, you guys go. i appreciate it man we're looking forward to having you on the show this saturday four o'clock on yes. kitv4 it's the premiere of episode four of living room live Hashtag Aloha together. Kalandi is on there. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you, man. Party, Kalandi, party, 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 party. Kalandi, before you go, um, plug your socials and your website. Party! Awesome again. Um, um, oh, well, you guys can check me out at uh, Kalandi Music on everything. Kalandi Music on everything. So Kalandi Music, spelled K-E-L-A-N-D-Y. Kalandi Music on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm super easy to find. All right, Excellent. have a great recording session. Connect me with the City Boys. Thank you, Kaylandi. I will. All right, you guys have a good one. Stay safe, guys. Aloha. Aloha. Makana, you are a uh, serious drinker, sir. I am very impressed by all the action that you've been do doing while the three of us are having a conversation. Makana got real serious with the cocktails. I had to go Aloha. light. I had to go light. This is the day. Is uh, it's like... It's an Italian, like, real light, aromatic, and little soda water. Look at oh, like this. An like an aperitif? I mean, like let me aperol? just Homie don't drink when he's alone, so this is a rare occasion. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're always alone. Well, now. technically, you're, you're not alone. That's why people I, are hosting these Zoom parties. That's why I just ran to the <laughs> liquor cabinet. Well, cheers. Here's, cheers, here's, here's to not being alone. <laughs> Maleko, how does this work? Do we have to roll with party is the word, or can Makana pick his own word for us to drink? Well, let too? me introduce him first uh, for the, okay, uh, for the audience go. right now. Our next guest is a Grammy-nominated musician. Uh, he's uh, a virtuoso on slacky guitar. Uh, he is an activist above all else, uh, and he is an absolute wonder to behold on stage. Please welcome Makana to the podcast. Thank you for joining Makana. us. Makana! You, you, little... you actually... I, hold on, I just want to say, Flash, I, I've had you up in my grill, you know, when you get liquored up. Like, I've had you right here, but Maleko, I've never had you so close to me, so it's a little awkward. I'm used to it. I mean, my, I just keep wanting to, like, make my chair fall over and go back. I, I, I'm getting used to it. Same. Same here. Same. Yeah. Now, now, Maleko sold you a little short. You've actually toured with and or open for Jason Mraz, Santana, Elvis Costello, Sting, No Doubt, Jack Johnson, Chris Isaac, John Legend, <clears throat> and many, many more. And not only that, uh, you've been a professional musician since the age of 14, which most people can't say. And we've got you on Living Room Live, Aloha Together, this Saturday. Is that, that everything? That's an impressive list. Do, do we get that's, <laughs> a, 
you know, I think stuff like that just gives new people who aren't familiar with my music or any artist's music a, a starting point of, okay, you know, guys, I'm just starting in his basement. But, you know, the thing is, is, is the process of creating music, none of that matters, you know, and I've been so deep in the process of creating, especially lately. I mean, it's like, I almost forget when you read off that little roster, I'm like, is that me? It seems like a whole nother person. I don't even know who that is, you know? You've had a long career. I mean, I imagine it's, it's easy for you to forget some of the moments. Um, if you've been working in music since you were 14, um, that probably means you, you never got to work the fry line at McDonald's. Like, did you, did you ever have a regular <laughs> job? <laughs> oh, dude, I am so blessed and privileged. I started out gigging when I was just going to Pearl City High School uh ninth grade started getting in like to playing roy's Waiki, uh hawaii kai with bobby madero of mauna lua then by the time i was like sophomore had four nights a week so when i graduated the plan was to be a fireman because grandfathers on both sides of the family were firemen but i can see it you look like a fireman i i get it <laughs> <laughs> i have a game for coming out by the way yeah so Never happened and just went into gigging. Yeah, no, it's, I think, you know, it could have given me an insensitivity to the plight of the working person. And for some reason, it, it made me almost more sensitive. And that's why so much of my art and music has been about rights for workers. You know, it was just May Day in Hawaii, May 1st, Lay Day, but also that's International Workers Day. And so, Things like this are a big part of my music. But I mean, you're, you're gigging four or five nights a week as a kid. You're actually working harder than most teenagers are. So it's not, I mean, you're working. It's not like you're a working man. You, you just have a different trade. You're still gig. I mean, gigging every night is hard work. It is, it's, you know, being an independent artist is, is a mysterious thing in terms of labor because, you know, the listeners just see a song pop up or a, a social media post and then it's like, oh, cool. I, that sounds great. Awesome. You know, and every time I tell my friends, oh, I can't come to the party or whatever. I'm working. Oh, what are you writing a song? You know, and that's kind of the assumption that's all there is to it. But there is this whole um, world behind being an independent artist that is invisible to most people. And I think, you know, if you compare it to like being a major label artist, for instance, you have a whole machine and a bank behind you. Um, when you're doing, when you're independent, you're doing it all on your own. And you've been independent from day one. Day one. I remember my yeah. first record label offer was from Mountain Apple Records. I was 14, turned that down. Then it started to roll in 17, 18. Wow. And management, Kiss, Molly Crew, Guns N' Roses, management, Doc McGee offered me a big mega management contract at 18, turned that down. Publishing deals, everything because, you know, the money was great you would lose your ability to guide the kind of art you wanted to do. I mean, when you're 14 and you're a local artist, I mean, Mountain Apple is yeah, the Mount, that's... Mount Everest. How do you get the balls at 14 to say, no, John DeMello, I'm good. <laughs> you know, big balls or a small brain. It's hard to tell, <laughs> but I definitely have <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, John DeMello uh, is a was a uh, 
he was a, an interesting person to be around because if you were in his presence, I mean, the guy just sweat money. He just oozed and smelled like money. And so when he, when he talked to you, it was intimidating, particularly, I, I imagine, for a young aspiring artist. So, you know, uh, I mean, I remember going into his office and sitting there and he proposed what was really a good idea from an economic standpoint was I should just do all slacky versions of Blue Hawaii and I'll Remember You and like, you know, like cheesy tourist music. And he gave me all the accounting on how many tourists and this and that. And I went home and tried it and I was like, it's super boring. I don't like it. And after watching enough like VH1 documentaries, I realized like, if, if I start turning this into a job now and I'm only 14, I'm gonna hate my life by the time I'm like 17. So I just said, you know what? No thanks. Dude, yeah, VH1 most... saved your life. That's <laughs> unreal. Oh, yeah. But most 14 year olds aren't thinking like that. But I'm, it's, uh, it's curious to me, uh, that's a little insight into how John thinks. Cause John, I mean, that conversation that you just mentioned, that's not John talking about fostering and developing an artist. That's John talking about how can we make some money? Well, you know, John, I've known John for a long time. And I think that John has, and his family has an incredible legacy. They have an incredible legacy in terms of um, shepherding the music of not just Hawaii, of Polynesia. Their catalog is, you know, over a quarter million Polynesian uh, sound recordings. Um, but that being said, I mean, you know, John isn't the kind of person who's assimilated into local culture. He maintains his own identity. And I mean, I love him for it. You know, I never signed with him. And, uh, and I'm glad because I still own all my shit and no one else does. And who knows where Mount Apple is now because they rode the tales of Brada is, you know, as far as they could. And they had great other artists. All the artists on Mount Apple were amazing. All my friends. But it's like, graduating a record label of that model into the new era of digital was not easy. And so, you know, I don't know where they are, where they ended up, but as an artist, you got to think of the long curve. You have to think like, okay, I might be desperate right now, but if I sell off my catalog here, or if I say yes to this, am I going to hate my life two years, five years, 10 years from now? And I ask myself that question often. Do well, you that's think, a, right? that, that, I think that's an testament to your forward thinking in all things. I mean, it's, not only in your music, but, uh, you know, as a, as a human rights and as an environmental activist, you know, that takes some forward thinking too. That takes some long-term strategy to realize what needs to be done now as well, doesn't it? I think so. I never think about it abstractly. I mean, one of my, my famous sayings is I never pursue happiness. Um, and I'm not a happy Why not? Person. I just, I'm generally not a happy person. Like if I'm probably happy like 1% of the time, maybe. And it's because I forgot that I'm supposed to be stressed about something, but it's just in my nature. But I think a lot of my career decisions have been more about honoring the gifts that have been given to me by Uncle Sonny Chillingworth, Raymond Kane, Bobby Madero, my, my kumu when I was young of slack key guitar, but also just knowing, you know, as you guys know, I'm not native Hawaiian. I'm born and raised here. My life is the Hawaiian culture music, but I know my place. And because I was given this gift, my whole life has been about giving back. How can I give back and make sure that I'm pono, I'm not taking more than I'm giving. And that kind of informs how I do my art. Do you find that uh, most successful musicians are in general unhappy? I'm gonna tell you a story and you, you, I don't know the answer to that. I'm just gonna tell you a story. 
I was on uh, – so you mentioned Jason Mraz. So Jason Mraz's private yoga teacher is a woman named Denise Kaufman. Good friend, lives on Kauai, owns a farm there, and she's a famous yoga teacher. She also had a rock band in San Francisco in the 60s called Ace of Cups. They were the first renowned all-women rock band, and they're making a comeback. Wow. So Denise is a good friend of mine. I gave her my album back then. It was like 2002. And she's – playing it as she does a private yoga session with Jason. And he's like, you know, in head off center or whatever you call it. And, and all of a sudden he hears these crazy lyrics, which are my lyrics about, it says, uh, have you ever made love for a camera on the couch in the kitchen? I wonder if you like it from behind or on the stairs or on the table, like pretty outrageous lyrics. And he gets curious, so he invites me on a national tour because he heard that one song when I was doing yoga. And you, that's a very interesting way to get invited on a tour, just to hear one song and say, yeah, I want to go on tour with that guy. I think because we have similar sense of humor. So, so we go on tour and the tour was awesome. It was six weeks. I mean, it was, it was epic. We're on the Today Show, we did all this crazy stuff. But I remember one time to answer your question, our most successful artist, Happy. We were on the tour bus going to Colorado to a special radio station in between shows. And Jason was raving to my friends and I about how the radio station is just so liberal. They, they're not corporate, but they have a huge reach and he can play whatever he wants. They're totally supportive. And he was super amped up. He got there and, you know, he's the star. So we're just, me and the other opening artists, Raul and Midon, we're just cruising and we see through the glass window in the boardroom of the radio room, like all of a sudden more corporate people coming in, management, tour manager, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden his like $10,000 Taylor guitar goes flying across the room. And like, he storms out and he's like, okay, we're out of here. And I was like, whoa, what happened? And they had wanted him to play the same song that he had done there 10 visits in a row. And he was so frustrated because he had something new he wanted to share that he had just specially made for his appearance. And I never forgot that. I never forgot wow. that. Wow. Radio. That's radio. classic radio story. Classic radio <laughs> story. You're like, what? That's not a story. That's daily. Hey, man. <laughs> play that one song again. <laughs> You've, you've managed to maintain an identity that's uniquely yours. Uh, you know, you, you've managed to become a slacky Hawaiian music guitarist while not being native Hawaiian. You've managed to maintain a, a, a regular routine of gigs. You, you're, you were constantly uh, playing regular uh, gigs, whether it was at, uh, at, at local restaurants, at bars. I mean, but you were just, it, you were out there all the time. Uh, has this, at, at any point, did you ever think, okay, I need to reinvent myself or I need to, to change things up, move to LA, you know, try and advance my career? Or, or, or what is it that, that keeps you motivated to keep doing what you've been doing for all these years? Uh, regularly, I reinvent and have that thought. Um, I probably shouldn't talk about this, but I've kind of used up this strategy, so I won't be doing it anymore, so I can come out with what I've been doing now. <laughs> Uh, every few years I make a giant big announcement with a bunch of press that I'm moving to LA and I've never actually moved to LA. I've always had a place there for 10 years now, but I never, I don't live in one location. I'm bi-coastal, you know, and it's like, I'm in constant motion, but the concept of like a Hawaii based artist 
going away long term really causes a sense of panic for the scene in terms of, oh, we're losing one of our own. And I do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I do spend extended amounts of time in LA because of the environment there with music, but it's easy to get taken for granted here. It's easy to be like, like, you know, my favorite musician in Hawaii, Uncle Willie, right? Uncle Willie, he's playing free gigs here and there and here and there. And all of a sudden he's going to do Hawaii theater for $50. Like, and it's like, oh, but now nah, just go wait and see uncle next week. Oh, and then, oh, I just saw McConaughey. Is that longs? Or, you know, it's like, that <laughs> of, like <laughs> dude, that long show was lit though. Seriously. That was amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. like, it's just so easy. It's like, like, how much time did you guys ask me on your podcast? Like, five years now. Like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to see him. You know, we'll do it. You know, I mean, it's the same kind of attitude of, like, taking for granted because it's always going to be there until it's not there. Yeah. And so part of that is saying, I mean, this is, this is, you asked me about how I manage things. You know, one of the things is when you hear a commercial on the radio that says, this weekend, live at the show, Naleo Pilimehana, Kaylee Rochelle, Willie K, Kyle Crater Boys, Amy Hanaili. Like, I don't want my name in that. If I'm going to do the show, I'll ask you to take my name out because I don't want the association of the Makana brand in a group. It's not because I'm better. It's nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with understanding marketing and understanding how do you maintain a unique brand identity that doesn't just get shuffled in. That's the branding part. Then the art part is I do what I want. I never repeat myself. Every record's completely different. The record I just came out with completely different. And it- How do your fans react to that? Let me tell you, there's it never having had a hit, right? And being able to go to a show, I'm not selling out, I'm not making millions. I sell out my venues, you know, three to 500 seats on in the mainland and you know I, I just i always sell out two shows at kahilu you know we do the mac blah 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 right you find your audience and if you can achieve it where you can show up and basically they trust you they're like makana we trust you be an artist that's why we came that is the ultimate joy of being an artist and i have been that blessed to be able to have cultivated that with great sacrifice great sacrifice of standing in Atlantic Records, CEO, above Rockefeller Plaza in the penthouse, playing for an hour for him and him going, Jason Flom, one of the most talented people I've ever met. I have no idea what to do with you. Sorry. You know, that, that kind of stuff over and over of like, well, we don't know what you are. You're too many things. Go away. We can't work with you. And that door has slammed in my face a million times. So I just made it my identity. Yeah, you, you, you say that like it's, a, uh, it, it's to your advantage. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the typical growing up recording artist, the student who wants to become, you know, the world's superstar would look at that as a disadvantage. Um, is that just, is that because that's the way you've grown into it? Or is that, is that truly part of you being an independent artist? I think we have to question the idea that being an artist automatically by default means wanting to be famous or have stardom or any of that. I mean, the fact that our, our culture, right, American, whatever, Western pop culture has glued the two together. It's, you know, 
it's not necessarily the case for people. I mean, I've always avoided fame. I think it's gross. The idea that you can't just have your life. Now you have a bunch of strangers who have an opinion. They think their opinion matters of your life. You know, the only good thing about fame is if you use it to help others. And so, um, for me, which you're doing, by the way, <laughs> I try to my little part. I never feel like I do enough. Um, but I, I just think, you know, like for young artists, I always tell young artists, like, first, before you even sign an autograph, get a lawyer. That's the first advice. Don't sign anything, you know, number one. But number two, find your passion and don't let anyone else try to form you. You know, like you can listen to everybody, take advice, like totally, you need to take advice. You need to listen. There are going to be a lot of people that help you but you need to also know the balance of who you are and when you're starting to compromise your integrity of who you are. And if you do that, you're dead. Don't you Let find uh, you. that? Go ahead, Malika. Well, I, I want to just piggyback on what you said about um, uh, maintaining your identity. I remember an event that I was asked to MC as a favor. It was a uh, and some sort of a, uh, an activist event. It was, it was an environmental call to action on the lawn of the state capitol. And they told me in advance, the featured artist is going to be Makana. And I'm like, great. So I get there and I'm ready to emcee this event. And you come how, strolling up. How long ago up. was this, Maleko? I want to say this was about 10, maybe 12 years ago. Uh, you come strolling onto the lawn of the, of the capitol and you're wearing what looks like, it could be like a life aquatic costume uh, maybe it's a Russian soldier outfit. Um, and you, you come up to me and you say, I am not Makana. Introduce me as, and you had a character name and I forget what it was. Oh uh, yeah, I remember. This was at the Capitol. Yes. Hamadan Stolinkovitz. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you stayed in that character. The Capitol. <laughs> the entire event. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. that was amazing that was amazing um yeah i mean i think identity sucks people are all about identity like oh i mean i mean look at bowie and ziggy stardust or beyonce or garth brooks or whatever and it's like why did artists do this it's because what happens with branding and art is it's no longer really let's let's take it beyond art you get married you get married and your partner expects you to always be the way that they agreed, you know, when they agreed to be with you, you're a certain way. Only a conscious marriage allows for evolution and change. You want to communicate that, but over time it's like, Hey, you know what? I'm realizing that I wasn't being myself. I'm more discovering me. Can you support me on that? That's a conscious relationship, but a lot of relationships don't allow that. The fan artist relationship is the same. I mean, remember Harry Connick Jr. When he, instead of being the world's most incredible pruner, he decided he wanted to do funk. I went to the show at the show. I was like, this sucks. I wanted to hear him do, I you, like all that stuff. <laughs> and I was super bummed out. And that's what happens. And that's why identity can totally diminish an artist's full range. And in fact, it's funny when you're talking to, what's his name, Kehlani? Kehlani. Kehlani. Yes. So I, I, I jumped in midway on the conversation, but you know, I'm getting ready to drop an entirely unrelated side project called Haimox after Haimakamaka. 
and <laughs> it's a totally separate brand. I've done an entire record. I'm going to drop it in singles. You guys will be the first to, I'll be reaching out to you on the side of this, but it's like full hip hop trap pigeon rap, the whole record. And like, when I'm hearing you say, cause I haven't heard Kelani's song yet. I got to look it up after this, but you were talking about how he looks, it doesn't fit. Oh no, you haven't seen nothing yet. You know, like <laughs> I walk on stage and try to do, but that's why I created a side brand because got it. Well, that, that, <clears throat> that video that you sent me, which Maleko hasn't even seen yet. You're performing as you, by the way, on the, this Saturday show, but on, on a later show of Living Room Live, we're gonna play this video where for the first 30 seconds of the video and you sent it to me, I'm like, why did you send me this video of this other guy like rapping? I'm like, <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't until there was like this slow reveal that I'm like, oh, that's, that's Makana. <laughs> but it was so great. You should do like a, not even tell anybody who it is, you know? I mean, it, that's, I mean, even knowing, watching the video going, okay, now I know that that's you. It still doesn't look like you. And certainly the style, I mean, everything about it. I mean, you're doing like a rap, a, a, like a, a clearly comical, funny rap song um, that I got a kick out of, but it's just like, this is not, you know, what someone would consider, you know, a Makana song, certainly. But that, that, to me, that was part of the fun. Right. I mean, I think that a lot of times, if not all the time, what happens to artists is there's a sliding scale of success and then a ceiling. You know, you, when, you're, when, you're, when you have very little success, of course you have freedom because nobody's expecting anything. The more fans on board you get, the more brand, all of a sudden it's like, you know, you start to hit a ceiling because the fan has built an association with what they expect from you. I mean, and... God knows I've challenged that. I mean, when I came out with the Occupy Wall Street anthem, We Are the Many, it's obviously not Slack Key or Bernie Sanders' presidential anthem from 2016. Um, you know, it was like a huge risk. I was the first person to publicly come out in Hawaii against Obama's trade deal. You know, like everyone was like, Obama's from Hawaii, we support whatever he does. And it risked so much. The news was running, all the local news was like running all all these campaigns, you know, it, Democratic senators try to blacklist me. I mean, a, a lot happened. All I can say is, is I stayed in my integrity the whole time, you know. I knew that I was taking huge risks. I knew that all the work I was, I had done might go out the window, but that's called conviction, man. When you're convicted about something, it's like a powerful state of being. But that was good marketing, too. I mean, you performed that song in front of Obama here for this Asian American conference, and then CNN picked up on it, Rolling Stone picked up on it. I mean, as a marketing person, I'm going, that was pretty clever. I mean, you know, there's that side. Too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you yeah. got like 600 news organizations in Waikiki with nothing to report on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're always <laughs> always looking for a headline, Makana, and you don't. You seem to find oh, it wait, straight. Hold on, you you have not seen. Well, I don't know. I wish we could screen share the greatest headline, and somehow this kind of went unannounced in Hawaii was when I got sued by one of my former managers. And the headline in Huffington Post, you can Google this, is Hawaiian singer sued for not working while Mercury is in retrograde. What? 
Go ahead and Google it on your phone. Uh, I'm, I'm Googling it right now. Go ahead and look. Hawaiian singer suit. Just put those three words. <laughs> I was, do, you I, not, do you not work while Mercury is in retrograde? <laughs> come on. Do you believe everything they, they put on, <laughs> on the news? No, I found out from Guy Hoggy. I mean, I didn't even know. This came on the local news. Oh, wow. You didn't hear about it until we all heard about it. I heard about it the same time it came on the local news, and they were like, Hawaiian singers purportedly sued for refusing to work while Mercury is in retrograde. For those of you who don't know what that is, let's go to Guy Hagi and he's all, okay, gang, here's the solar system. And over here, <laughs> and, uh, every once in a while, I'll turn around and so people know by iPhones and, and, you know, whatever. And it was like, my girlfriend at the time, she's like, Babe, you're teaching the world astrology. I was like, this is not <laughs> How long ago was that? This is 2013. All right, here it is. Oh, look so at you. right here. So Hawaiian that singer hair. sued for not working. Look at that hair. Uh, While well, Mercury's in retrograde, takes his living with Aloha to a whole new level. Hawaiian guitarist Makana sued by his former manager because he refuses to work now is is that a true story though of course not i know and i had to talk to every venue across the country they're like you know we look <laughs> retrograde and your gig is booked during the time okay so it may not be true but is it possible that you may have alluded to that because i could almost see just, you know, I could almost see an artist just going, you know what, Mercury's in retrograde. I don't feel like playing tonight. Not playing, but really, because the case is still pending, that's all I can say about it. <laughs> Sounds like more smart marketing to me. Yes. <laughs> Best headlines ever. Now, um, you did play the White House once. Can you tell us uh, when that was and how that all came about? 2011, uh, 2009. Um, yeah, it was during the Obama presidency. It was just a big party. There were like 400 people there. Um, it was, it was cool. I mean, one thing I noticed was the race stratification in terms of people working in the White House. Uh, you had a very distinct classification. You had like all of the security and all of the kitchen staff were African-American, 100%. All of the kind of like handlers were East Indian women, very petite with business suits and earpieces. And then there were just nothing but white Marines in terms of enforcing and making sure that everybody was where they were supposed to be. It was, it was just, I, I found it fascinating how it was so true to like a racial stratification and what um what was the event it was uh it was a christmas party and you know they had invited all kinds of musicians from hawaii over their presidency so i was one of them and um yeah it was it was fun i mean it was really cool it was a good party and um, after that, that's when I got invited by the first lady to do the APEC dinner. So, I'm, I mean, she didn't invite me to anything after that. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you a question. You, knowing already that you're, you're not shy of turning something down, 
Would you perform at the White House if you were invited to perform there today? Hmm. If I had a reason to do so in my own mind, absolutely. You know, I'll give you my philosophy in a nutshell. <clears throat> Play for everyone. Play for everyone. Because if you're only going to preach to your own choir, what's the point of being an artist? You never know when someone in your audience is going to be affected by what you say. You know, I fought Monsanto in Hawaii for years. And I got invited to play for Monsanto. And I ended up playing for them. And it was a profound experience because them was them hosting farmers from across the U.S. And it was incredible to be able to educate them on on some of the history of agriculture in Hawaii and Haloa and just the whole, a whole different orientation to what they do from our perspective. And people were crying. I mean, so if I had been like, screw you guys, I hate Monsanto. I never would have the opportunity to expose them to certain things. Does that mean that I change it? No, it doesn't mean anything. It just means our job as artists are to get in front of people and expose them to sometimes challenging perspectives. Whether or not they agree is not our problem. Yeah, that's actually that's a really great way to look at it. Um, now, after you performed, was there any uh, any pushback from what you did or said uh, with Monsanto? So in that situation, um, I wasn't protesting. What I was doing was educating, exposing to culture. So I made friends, actually. I made friends with a lot of farmers. The farmers were customers, you know. They only yeah. have a paradigm. So rather than, you know, there's a time to be like, hey, you guys are wrong. You guys should blah, blah, blah. And there's another time to be like, aloha, everyone. I just want to share something with you you might have never been exposed to. This is mm -hmm. a beautiful story about Hawaii. And boom. And it, that's how you change people in certain contexts. It's not always hitting people over the head. You're wrong. Listen to me. Wake up. Get your head out of your ass. Like, there's a time for that. There's time to, like, hit people in the heart. Is there a cause right now that we should know about that maybe isn't getting discussed more that you're in tune with? Oh, man. <laughs> Top three. <laughs> uh, yeah, yesterday was a day recognizing the many, many indigenous women uh, that have been uh, going missing across America. That's a major issue that is starting to pick up attention in the media. Um, you know, without going macro and into detail, there are a million things I'm following right now. I would just say that a lot of people are talking about returning to normal in Hawaii. Like, oh, when things got yesterday, the governor announced, you know, okay, shopping mall, blah, 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 right? And I question if we should return to normal. A lot of people are questioning, should we return to normal? Is is it good for Hawaii to return to normal? You know, the three of us have homes, we have food, we have jobs. We have, we're, we're above the ground floor, we're not below it of the social safety net, but there are tens of thousands and with this economic fallout from what just happened, there's gonna be more homeless families. And so I think right now, questioning if economic indicators are what we should really prioritize is the health of Hawaii. Or is this an opportunity to start going, maybe we need to like kind of get off just the tourism leg and put three more legs under our chair 
And that could be local ag, that could be energy startups, that could be all kinds of community organizations. That's what I'd like to see people in Hawaii focus on right now. What, um, what's your stance right now on Mauna Kea and how do you think um, all the issues with TMT, um, how do you think all what the fallout is going to be with all of that after COVID? That was a huge focus. And then all of a sudden, you know, now we have this pandemic, but at some point people are going to turn their attention back to that. Well, the machine behind UH and, you know, the, the international consortium keeps trying to push the Gordon Moore foundation. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're trying to push, you heard the, one of the first things out of Ige's mouth yesterday was like, here's the new list of businesses that can like start to open up, you know, and it, he, the first thing was like, telescope, I mean, like, shopping malls. Like it was, it was like, we saw that coming, you know, and I think in my opinion is UH is trying to forward this narrative that like, Hey, we want compromise. You know, we want a win-win for everybody. Let's meet in the middle. And what a lot of people are saying, in terms of Kia'i is saying, hey, wait a minute, we've compromised for years. You've violated your own leases. You're supposed to be taking down telescopes already. I mean, the compromise is allowing you to do all the violations you've already done. It doesn't include building a new violation. And so Tanaka and Kia'i around the world are not gonna stop fighting. It's not gonna happen. There's no way TMT is gonna happen and it's gonna burn up more local resources. It's gonna be another war. It's gonna keep going because UH leadership is only interested in co-opting Hawaiian culture and using it as a facade. It's not actually living by the creeds of Hawaiian culture, in my opinion. So what do you think, I mean, what happens on, on the Mauna? Like, is there anyone even up there right now? Oh, I don't know right now. Um, I know recently some people were up there, but I haven't, I haven't, you know, looked a lot going on. So um, they did open it up a while ago to public. When I was up there last, there were tourists going up to the top and whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I know this, I'm, this might sound like a trite question, but it's a question we have to ask about everything um, is like, what does protesting even look like on the other side of this? Um, there was that, I think, Maleko, you know, I think it was that square in Hungary or something where they had a protest, but they had everyone standing six feet apart. Um, I, I'm just curious, as, I mean, physically, what does protesting look like on the other side of this? I'm, and that, that might be a rhetorical question, but it's, it's a fascinating question to think about is, is what a standoff would look like after this. Are you referring specifically to at Mauna Kea Access Road? Are you talking just in general? Um, I, both. You know, I specifically about that, but I mean, in general, I mean, what is, that's just, you know, the question you're asking about anything in the future, right? What does anything look like? What does a concert look like after this? I mean, so this goes into a whole nother territory of like, you know, my opinion, which is irrelevant. I'm not a scientist or whatever, but I have my opinion, like everyone does, of, of transmissibility and of the situation moving forward, right? And I think that, you know, all I can do is read as much as I can and listen to authorities on it. One of my good friends is a world-renowned epidemiologist. We've had a lot of talks about this. And it's, it's interesting that Hawaii was really open until mid-March. We had tourists coming from around the world until mid-March. And so we had exposures. We locked down kind of late. 
And we didn't ever really lock down tourism. We just put the quarantine in place. But we really did go from 30,000 a day down to like 500 or so. So we had the exposures and we didn't see the, the outbreak. Now, of course, we did shelter in place, but the shelter in place doesn't stop outbreaks. It doesn't stop infection. It just slows transmission. So I think that aside from these kind of armchair theories about ultraviolet light and all this stuff, what I think after talking to people that I deem authorities on the issue who spent their lives in laboratories trying to infect laboratory animals through aerodynamic flows of viral loads, like understanding like what it takes to actually transmit through the air, watching the Japanese studies of like how long does like what size of moisture drops hang out when you're walking down the sidewalk, someone sneezes 20 feet away from you. Are you exposed depending on the wind flow? All of this, it seems at a place like Hawaii versus a place like Chicago in the winter where you're stuck in a house. If one person is infected, everyone's infected. That's hands down guaranteed, recycled air no circulation of fresh air. In Hawaii, with the outdoor lifestyle, the trade winds, everything, you're just, I think, and these people think, going to see lower infection rates. So first of all, my answer to the question is the idea that we can somehow prescribe top-down from a national perspective. I'm not letting Trump off the hook. I hate that guy. But I'm just speaking from my own perspective that nationally prescribing uh, to a high degree is not the answer. We need national guidance. We need national guidelines, but, but Hawaii is in a unique position. We never were part of the United States. We know we don't have to go into all of that. So I think that the leadership in Hawaii has been, as usual, kind of just following in tow what the feds say and kind of doing the minimum and not saying anything so they don't, they're not liable. You know, Ige doesn't want to open his mouth too much because he's just going to get attacked. So there's a downside to that. It's obviously destroying things. I'm not all about the economy. I love that we've had a drop in tourism because the environment needs it so badly here. And I wish they would cancel RIMPAC. I think that's the first thing they should do is cancel RIMPAC. You know, it's crazy that that's still happening, even though they're not supposedly not letting the guys off the ships. Well, still the damage that it does out there. I mean, the fact oh, that they're here, it's disgusting. So yeah. all I'm saying is, is, you know, it's a long-winded answer to a very difficult question. What does protesting look like? We have to learn how to live with the virus. The bottom line is, is the virus and viruses are ubiquitous. If you know anything about viruses, <laughs> like right here, this is, I've had this since before this happened. I can show my Amazon receipt from last year because I buy these once a year to fly. I fly constantly. And I find when I wear them, and I fly, I have a much better chance of staying well. It's maybe because I'm having more of my own moisture recycle. I don't get dried out or whatever. There's a hundred reasons, but there are like dozens of mask studies. If I put this on right now, right? This is not even the right way to wear the mask. It might seem right, but if I put on my glasses, see them fog up? Already there, I'm getting total, like there's no, there's no protection, I'm, I, you know what I'm saying? So the, the whole idea that we have this system that works to really prevent the spread, it's not actually informed by science. And I encourage everybody to really, not just question, but try to understand that it's a complex issue. And in the long run, what the authorities say is that we are going to have to develop herd immunity. 
I think it's awesome that we have uh, slowed it down. I think it's super important, but without testing and contact tracing, you know, it's, it's causing a lot of damage. There needs to be an approach that understands the science even better. And you can't hide from a virus. That's a fact. Well, that's the definition of a virus, right? I mean, the virus is designed to spread itself and to, uh, uh, to, to propagate as quickly as possible. Millennials will understand that's the definition of viral, but I don't know that they understand where viral came from. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Makana, uh, you are very articulate and very passionate about uh, a wide variety of issues. Uh, are politics in your future? Maybe. This is anyway. my, this is my, uh, my intention is I have about 10 to 20 years of intense reading and study to do before I deem myself ready to serve at that level. And I have a whole curriculum that I'm, have friends that are helping me create everything from deep Hawaiian cultural history, land issues, the dynamics of the overthrow, all of that stuff, which we all know a little bit about, but I'm going in a, a lot deeper to understanding and developing new economic models. One of the ideas I have is, you know, there's a big argument between capitalism and socialism. Everybody gets emotionally triggered. The reality is we have both. We've always had both and both depend on each other without both. It's a disaster. And so, I'd like to forward that conversation. I think that anyone looking to run for office or be in public service needs to understand the zeitgeist, the climate, and then understand what is the demand of the electorate at that time. Because you can go in with all sorts of ideas, but if there's not enough body mass that's saying, we want this idea, it's just gonna be a, a losing battle. So like, as we're seeing with COVID-19 and the shutdown, you're seeing what, 40 million people thrown off of their health care because of unemployment? In addition to the nearly 100 million people who already had inadequate or no health care, you're seeing the polling start to move toward Medicare for all, universal health care, what Bernie has been fighting for. Of course, everyone hates Bernie because they're, they think of Bernie as Mao or Stalin because they're uneducated. But when you start to see the polling move to where like 70% or more are going, yeah, we want Medicare for all. We want universal health care. Once you see that get to like a little higher percentage, it doesn't matter who's running. It's the electorate that decided, okay, it's time for this. Someone's going to push it through after 40 years of work on behalf of all these other people. So that's kind of what I'm watching. The climate with Hawaii that I'm watching is, and the Senate just put in a bill that says they're trying to bar, um, foreigners from buying land. I don't know if you saw that. It's very interesting. Um, of course, there's a loophole. And there's always a loophole for their buddies, right? The loophole is, oh, they, can, they can't buy anything that's been built longer than five years ago. They can buy anything that's new up to five years. Well, of course, all the rich foreigners want to buy all the new Alawana apartments and all the Howard Hughes crap, right? So it's like, there's your loophole. And that's the problem with the system is buddy, buddy loopholes and kickbacks. And so when enough, and this is sad, but it's true. When enough of our local families lose their mortgages or lose the ability to afford rent, right? When enough of 
our local people who are born and raised here, who have multi-generational roots here are displaced, that's when you're going to see momentum toward progressive taxation that protects local people from being priced out of buying a home in Hawaii. That's like one of my main concerns. And I think it, it's sad, but it took this pandemic for that global shift. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's, a, uh, there's an old uh, bit of wisdom that with conflict comes change. And I think at the other side of this, whatever the new normal is, um, those things that you talked about uh, are, are being accelerated. I think the change is happening faster than it would have otherwise. Yeah. Makana, before we go, uh, tell us a little bit about your new album and uh, where we can get it. Sure. It's called a Hawaii Interlude, and it's a 20-song instrumental album. It's, uh, it's really a cinematic listen. You can put it on and just do whatever you're doing, and it, I've gotten, it's only been on like a week. I've gotten like 30 emails from people saying, oh my God, all I do is loop it. You know, like I'm working, the kids are calming down, and it's like, it's really diverse. It's got everything from a ton of ukulele and sake, but in the context of jazz, there's hip hop, there's trap, there's bluegrass, uh, there's meditative. So it's really a trip through Hawaii. And I think everyone who has a relation with Hawaii, there's like a different entry point to it. And the title speaks to, you know, obviously interlude is a musical break. So it's, it's a musical break about Hawaii, but there's a kauna, double entendre, and the, the musical interlude is, the Hawaii, a Hawaii interlude is also saying, if you look at the album cover, which has two, you know, skyscrapers, black and white, and then like a little patch of green in the distance, Malka, what it's really saying is, is Hawaii is taking an interlude from the world. It's taking a break from the daily influx of, 40,000 tourists. It's taking a break from the usual and reassessing what's the right way to move forward here for a moment. So we don't lose Hawaii in the process. Did you come up with all that before the pandemic or, or was it a direct result of that? It was a direct result of the pandemic. The whole, the music had already been recorded, not as an album. As you know, I, I record and create constantly. I've done over 200 songs in the past two years. So I went into, last month I went into my collection and I was kind of listening for different concepts. And I said, you know what? Instrumental, people are stuck working at home. They need a, a healthy environment that's gonna like make them feel uplifted, not depressed, like connected to nature no singing and talking so they can focus. So I put this together and then came up with the concept to try to speak to what we've been talking about. Fantastic. Makana, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your gift of music with the world. And of course, uh, thanks for protecting the world that we live in too. It's been great uh, getting to know you a little bit. I'm almost out of my cocktail. I hope you yeah. are too, man. Party to you. Yeah. <laughs> Makana, uh, plug your website and your Instagram real quick. I will. And I just want to say, you guys really pumped me because I was like talking to my sister who's in Seattle and, sh and she works for my company. And I was like, okay, I got to go. I got to do this podcast just with a bunch of drunks. They just like to party and we're just going to like, you know, <laughs> yeah, and like, it's not going to be serious. It'll probably be like five minutes, whatever. We're going to talk about you know, hookers and blow or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's all serious. Like, I've never seen this side of you guys. I'm, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm beclumped. 
You know, uh, the, the tone of the podcast has certainly changed from, let's say, January to now. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, just, it's, uh, it's, it's a much different podcast than it used to be. Hopefully I mean, only temporarily. Liver, your liver was like, like, okay, we need to have a talk. We're going to run this podcast <laughs> in years. We need to get a different format because this is not going to work. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty much. Something <laughs> like that, yeah. Makana, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My website's makanamusic.com. I'm on Instagram, at makanamusic, and on Spotify and all that. So you guys take care. Aloha. Excellent. Thank you again, Makana. He's going to be performing for us this Saturday. He's on Living Room Live, hashtag Aloha Together, episode four. You can get all the information at alohatogetherhawaii.com. And Flash, you've actually got something special planned for us next week. Yeah, and one more thing about this week. Uh, Kaylandi, who was on the sh uh, show a little while ago, he's going to be on Saturday's episode along with Makana, uh, BET, Lehua Kalima, Johnny Helm, and Jonah Jackson as well. Next week, Wednesday, we have the godfather, the legend, Henry Capono himself, uh, talking about the Henry Capono Foundation and all that he's doing to help support local musicians. Because like Kaylandi was mentioning earlier, you know, uh, a lot of, not a lot, all the artists are, you know, losing all their weekly, monthly gigs. And uh, the Henry Capono Foundation is doing a lot to help uh, support these local musicians through these tough times. Good times. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Subscribe at MolecularFlash.com. Take care. Bye. Makana, thank you.